we didn't have a name for the show, which was really kind of funny. Um, and the guy across the table says, so let me get this straight. You guys are going to get dropped in the middle of nowhere for 30 days with no food. And we said, yeah. And all of a sudden this lady came in and said, I need you for a second. He goes, hold on guys. And he left. And as soon as he left, we looked at each other and we go, Hey, the name is dropped. That's a great name. Hey everyone. And welcome to the adventure deficit show where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. If you're into hunting, fishing, or adventure travel, you may recognize today's guests from their award-winning cable TV series, Dropped, which is currently in its sixth season, airing on the Outdoor Channel. The Kiefer brothers are with us today. Chris and Casey, welcome to the Adventure Deficit Podcast. We're so grateful to have you guys on. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. How you doing, man? Doing really well. Stoked to have uh, have you tell us a little bit about your background and then uh, share an adventure story with us by which we can all draw a life lesson from. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. Appreciate you having us. Absolutely. Um, so to start things off, let's uh, let's just kind of dive into the early years. I know roughly your ages are 36 and 33. Is that is that correct? Roughly. I just turned 34. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday, Casey. We've got kind of the trifecta going. I'm staring at two handsome red flourishing beards, and uh, I aspire to have one like theirs one day. Um, Chris, why don't you go ahead and get us started off? Where'd you guys grow up? So Casey and I, uh, we grew up in western Pennsylvania, and uh, the hills of western Pennsylvania is where we uh, really got introduced to the outdoors. And I think that was mainly because of our, uh, our grandfather and our father, um, both big outdoorsmen. And really that tradition just ran thick in western Pennsylvania. So it was, uh, it was either hockey or hunting, and that was pretty much how we grew up. Um, and being a little bit separated in years, um, you know, we, we were a little bit different younger but as we kind of got older and got into that high school age, then we were able to kind of all be together. So, but yeah, Western Pennsylvania is our, our hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Is that, uh, is that near the Allegheny range? Oh yeah. Okay. Right in the heart. Yep. Okay. So I, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with that, but kind of describe more, a little bit more, uh, about just the topography and, and just kind of Break down what western rural Pennsylvania looks like for some of our listeners who might not be familiar. Creeks and hollers. <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot of up and down. So, yeah, we're right in the foothills in Pittsburgh. We lived about uh, 20 miles north that would be uh, northeast of the city. So, um, you know, we were out in the suburbs still. But, uh, yeah, no, we were in a great area. Um, Pittsburgh is full of up and down. I mean, really, Pennsylvania itself is just an absolutely gorgeous state. You know, you can be uh, skiing up in the mountains in an hour and a half or uh, in the foothills right there where we grew up. So that means there's lots of critters to chase around, lots of creeks to trout fish, lots of things to do, lots of places to camp, ride your mountain bike. I mean, that's all stuff that we did growing up there. I mean, we lived a very active outdoor lifestyle. You know, like Chris said, it was either hockey or hunting or being in the outdoors in some way, shape or form. And basically... You know, if you're born in uh, in that area of the world, you're kind of indoctrinated into it at a really, really young age. Sounds like dad and, and grandpa were, were a big integral force in, in kind of rearing you into that culture. Yeah, definitely. Um, our grandfather and our dad, uh, actually, they, they used to breed beagles when we were kids, so for rabbit hunting. So, you know, like most kids back in that day, not necessarily today, but uh, we started out with a 22 and a shotgun and rabbit hunting and, you know, going out with uh, with those guys, rabbit pheasant. Um, that was yeah. that was huge for us. I mean, I, that was our first hunt was uh, basically our grandfather saying, all right, stand right here at this crossroads and the rabbit will run by. And when he does, um, let him have it. And of course, you know, missing on the as the rabbit ran by guns too heavy. Right. Can't get it up. I'm still, you know, 11, 12 years old at that time. I can still remember. But. I think one of the fun parts about that entire experience was not necessarily the action of hunting when we were out there, but more or less when we went back to the old Jeep Wagoneer 
afterwards and they were drinking uh genesee ale uh you know with the dogs and everybody all tied to the bumper and you know just that camaraderie of being there and listening to their stories i mean that's really what got uh what got me addicted to to this particular sport Uh, hunting a variety of different species everything that uh everything that was in season and was was regulated was pretty much fair fair game for chasing oh yeah yeah, we chased uh, we chased rabbits, pheasants, turkeys, deer. The only thing I don't think I ever hunted in Pennsylvania was uh, bears. There's yeah. always a bear season, and there were a lot of bears where we used to hunt. But I never, for whatever reason, never did bear hunt there. Yeah, hmm. shot our first whitetail there, um, yep. and kind of got addicted to archery. Did the evolution of started out with a gun, and then really got into the archery stuff. And then once we got into archery, we kind of got addicted to bow hunting. Um, and then it became a challenge after that of like, let's just try to shoot everything we can with a bow. And that was, that addiction took over for a long time still today, really. Talk a little bit about that. Cause I know just from reading in your bios, you guys spent some time, uh, in your high school years, kind of getting serious about the whitetail thing. And it turned into, uh, into some guiding opportunities. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we uh, we kind of bounced around a little bit. We both went our separate ways after high school. Chris uh, ended up moving to Michigan, which is where we're at right now. Uh, he moved up here for college. I, I moved to uh, Saskatchewan after my senior year in high school, and we kind of, like I said, went our separate ways, and we're kind of doing our own thing. And, uh, yeah, we came ended up coming full circle back to, you know, the guiding world. Um, I'd been guiding up in Saskatchewan in the spring, uh, and in the summer for bear hunting and fishing for a couple of years, Chris was guiding whitetail here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, eventually it all culminated. We got back together and started guiding whitetail and, uh, really never looked back from that point. I mean, once I think we both decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to get our foot firmly planted in the outdoor world and start this career as a guide. Neither of us have ever looked back and things have just kind of snowballed from there. And, uh, you know, we've, we've continued to grow what we do and reach into other areas of the outdoors. And it's been it's been a tiger by the tail. So, Chris, you went to school uh, in Michigan. Where did you go to school? Oh, at Ferris State University. What you uh, what did you study there? Uh, graphic arts. So I was in the graphic arts, uh, which is kind of funny coming back full circle. I never realized I'd take that passion for graphic arts and, you know, print management is what I studied there. Um, but right out of college, I was not in the mood to sit in a cubicle and I certainly was not in the mood to, uh, to go to a nine to five at that point. I was like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I, uh, you know, we had spent so much time playing hockey and our falls had been just kind of eaten up by it, uh, that once I kind of got that time back and I realized there was no Stanley cups in our future, um, it was kind of done and I, (laughs) took me 45 minutes to get out of bed in the morning because of my knees I was like all right it's time to figure out what to do and I don't know for whatever reason I just kept going back to the outdoors and started to guide um at uh, some some ranches here in Michigan and just fell back in love with what I had missed for the past kind of 10 years of really focusing in on the sport of hockey so um that that's eventually what brought Casey and I back together again is kind of like after both careers are done and hockey's over He's going into the guiding. I'm going into the guiding, and then we started to get back together again. But uh, um, eventually, that graphic design uh, degree that I ended up getting, now today, you know, owning a marketing company with Casey and, and our partners, it's like we do graphics all the time for some of the largest hunting, you know, manufacturers in the in the country. So it's kind of interesting how it all came back full circle again, and. It, Really wasn't on purpose, but uh, obviously there was some underlying, you know, theme there that we always were doing something in that creative space. You reignite a passion that that was there all along in hunting, and uh, the two of you kind of joined forces back in Michigan. In what city were you? Were you in Midland at that point? Not at that point. No. We were up north. Yeah, um, right. yeah, we were up north. We were in uh, near near Grayling, Michigan. Okay. Uh, the home of Fred Bear. Um, so we were up there at that particular time, um, in the Asable in the Asable river. Um, so we spent a lot of time on the Asable river, um, that was so close to us. Um, so yeah, we didn't get into, to Midland until about six or seven years later. Um, there was the, the, the birth of a show, a television show. We actually ended up, uh, guiding uh, a gentleman that was filming for a television show. So that's our first kind of like introduction to, television hunting shows at that time and we're talking now 15 years ago so uh you know that was back in the day where they were promoting outfitters and it was very in your face and like go to this place and go to that place 
So Casey and I happened to be guiding that gentleman on the show. Um, he left uh, and he called us not long after and he said, I've got an unguided caribou hunt that I have no clue really as to what I'm doing on that hunt. You guys have spent all your time in the bush and out there and your skill set would fit that. Would you guys mind going and filming that hunt? Now, we used to film our, our, our clients, if you will, like the people we'd film our clients. We just, that was just always part of what we did. And of course we'd edit them in like the first ever iMovie that came out, you know, like we were really messing around trying to make some fun stuff and it was more or less just for us to have. And, um, so yeah, I can remember calling Casey and be like, Hey, unguided caribou, Adak Island, Alaska. And he didn't even let me finish. He's like, I'm in. So the guy sent us some camera gear, and uh, from that point, we literally just got on a plane, flew up to Alaska. Um, we hitched a ride on a Bering Sea crab boat out of ADAC. They dropped us off, and we sat out there for, I don't know, 12 or 14 days, 14, 14 days, days yeah. filmed each other, filmed these hunts, had no idea what we were doing. Everything was on auto, uh, like uh, just kind of did this experience. And I think I can remember sitting with Casey – we were up on top. He had just shot this amazing caribou, which we still have. Our uh, the, both of them mounted as kind of our first animals ever on camera, um, and they're here in our studio. But uh, I can remember sitting with him. Bering Sea just goes completely calm. We're up there like, okay, maybe we have a a, a life change here. Maybe we ought to think about doing this for a living. And we kind of looked at each other and said, let's give it a whirl. And uh, yeah, from that point forward, we were in the television business and it just kind of happened that way. And, and uh, when we got back, you know, things started to snowball and here we are today. So Chris and Casey together founded uh, a media company called Rusted Rooster. Uh, and Rusted Rooster is essentially a production company that uh, specializes in film um, short series and then short uh, promotional videos for a handful of major scale, uh, major names. You've heard them all. Um, and, uh, they also together own a hatch marketing company, which fill me in a little bit on that gentlemen. Yeah. So hatch is, uh, basically a one-stop shop for, uh, outdoor manufacturers when it comes to, uh, marketing, branding, advertising, and product positioning. So we get, uh, manufacturers come to us with a blank product and they say, here it is. This is what I make. What do I call it? Where do I advertise it? What do I price it at? What's the competition doing? So yeah, we, we kind of are a one-stop shop for all of those things. We've done a lot of rebranding and brand building in the outdoors. So probably some of the most iconic names, especially in the archery world right now, um, you know, we, we've run through this house and, you know, we're glad to be a part of that whole thing. So, Which brings us up to an opportunity that Chris and Casey were given uh, to show in their own series, Dropped. They're going to tell us an adventure story today about season one of Dropped, uh, which takes place in the Brooks Range of Alaska. Um, and they're going to tell us about their 28 days of, um, of hell, high water and victory uh, in, in some pretty rugged country. Hey, thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Adventure Deficit's mission is to entertain, educate and inspire you through these stories and the life lessons they hold. We can't wait to see you get out there in pursuit of your own adventures and combat the deficit. We need your help in achieving this, and there's several ways you can get involved. First, if you're listening to this, you probably already know we're on iTunes under Adventure Deficit. But be sure to click subscribe. This way, our new episodes will automatically appear in your download queue, and we'll know how many of you we're reaching. We'd love to see your feedback on there too, so feel free to post a note and let us know how we're doing. Our main website, www.adventuredeficit.com, which serves as a base camp for all of our content, is where we'll post notes from each episode, including timestamps from the highlights and direct links to any gear or information that you might want to revisit. There are gear reviews and short stories from other exciting adventures not featured on the podcast. Under support, you can either buy stuff or donate to the show. A special thanks to those of you who have already bought t-shirts or donated to us directly. This revenue enables us to continue producing content, so think about helping us in that way too, if you can. Finally, you can connect with us on social media. Our Facebook page is at The Adventure Deficit. Give us a follow, or we're on Instagram too, under Adventure Deficit. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Cheers. Let's get ready to take our medicine. (laughs) Tell me and the listeners about your experience in season one. So, yeah, season one of Dropped. So, uh, you know, at this point, Chris and I are a couple of years into a show that we started uh, and we're producing called Backcountry Quest. And we had this idea of, you know, hey, we need to go up and do kind of a do-it-yourself Alaska deal. We want to go up there and we want to just kind of, you know, show the hunters what it's all about to do, you know, do it yourself. So we said, all right, and we start honing in on a plan. We said, okay, you know, let's go up there and let's chase, uh, let's chase moose for sure. We each wanted to try and kill a moose and, well, let's take a look and see what else is open while we're there and what else we could try to take down. Well, that ended up turning into, well, we can kill caribou as well. We can kill bears as well. So, you know, we started looking at each other thinking, if we're going to be up there with, you know, two of us, we're each going to try to take a moose. We're each going to try to take a caribou. We're each going to try to take a black bear. We're going to need some time. You know, we're going to need some serious time to try to pull that off. That's not like a seven to ten day adventure. Um, so we, you know, we throw the idea out there of, well, what if we did it, you know, for 30 days? What if we did something totally different? And when the 30 days thing kind of started, that's when the conversation turned into, well, hell, if we're going to be out there for 30 days, why don't we try to make it its own unique standalone series? And uh, as we always like to say, the whiskey bottle got emptier and emptier, and then we decided we're not going to take any food with us. <laughs> so yeah, that was great. That's the uh, That was the kicker. That was a wild card. And I think that was for us. You know, at that point in time, when you look back, it was all, it was all kind of we were clamoring for something different. I think the outdoor television audience was clamoring for something different, and it was time for just a breath of fresh air. It was time for, you know, us as viewers, we would sit back and say, "Gosh, I wish, I wish we could just watch the outdoors for what it's meant to be. It's not about a kill shot. It's not about a particular product. It's not about an outfitter. It's about just go out there." document the hunt from start to finish good bad ugly great highs lows ebbs flows the whole nine yards so that's kind of where dropped was born really at that point we said all right we'll do it now we just got to figure out who we're gonna get to support this thing and uh, how that whole thing works yeah that was kind of the interesting part of that whole beginning there's a there's about a two-week span right there where uh in reality there's our partner jason brown had a company that was producing our show and we were meeting with Jason. Jason was the one that came to us and said, you two guys do what you do in front of the camera, and I'll take care of everything behind the camera. And that's the part that Casey and I didn't, didn't focus on. So he was the one that kind of creatively said, I'll sh- we're going to shoot this, and then you guys do what you do. Well, when we had that meeting, um, we not only did dropped, but that's actually when Rusted Rooster was born because we looked at each other and said, if we're going to do this, the three of us are going to go in and create a company and we're going to have a production house and we're going to do this the way it should be done. We're not just going to wing this one. So we actually created Rusted Rooster and dropped all at the same time. And uh, that was the first time that we went to a a network. Every hunting show out there, um, you know, at that time would pay for airtime so anybody could be on the air as long as you could afford the airtime and have the sponsors and i think that was the first time that we actually decided to go to a network and say this is the situation we've got an amazing idea and we don't want to pay for it we want you guys to support us and let's let's really make something cool and we were lucky enough at that time that we met with the uh, executives over at sportsman channel at the time and um we didn't have a name for the show which was really kind of funny. Um, and the guy across the table says, so let me get this straight. You guys are going to get dropped in the middle of nowhere for 30 days with no food. And we said, yeah. And all of a sudden this lady came in to, and said, I need you for a second. He goes, hold on guys. And he left. And as soon as he left, we looked at each other and we go, Hey, the name is dropped. That's a great name. And so he comes back and he's like, all right, so what's the name of the show? And we went, oh, it's called Dropped. And he's like, very cool. And he kept going on, and he was like, awesome. And so it wasn't for like three years later before we told that individual that he named the show right there in that meeting. So it was amazing how things were aligning. Rusted Rooster was formed. Dropped was formed. We got our name. The network backed us, and we really were kind of on to something. And we had no idea when we got dropped off in the middle of the Brooks range and the plane flew away. I can, I can remember all standing on the, 
runway and we're like, wow, this is real. We're here for a month. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next month. Uh, it's not like whitetail where you can just go in and film and, you know, if that doesn't work, you can go back and film it later. It's like we're here and we've got to get a whole series right now in one month. And that was, I think, an adrenaline rush for us. Oh, yeah. And then we turned at each other and said, did anybody really pack a Snickers or anything? Because we don't have any food. And so that was a challenging part for us. But that whole first season and how everything came together and, and just um, – it kind of aligned the next steps of what we've done since then. And it was just one of those moments where we saw it and we had to take advantage of it. And, uh, it was placed in front of us and basically hustled from there on out. Yep. Yeah. We got back afterwards. We didn't even have, we didn't know how to do it. We had a meet, like we were editing, we knew how to do it, but when we were editing, um, there was a defining moment in that as well. We were sitting there season one, we're editing. It's 4am in the morning. We're all sitting there. You know, Rusted Rooster at that point, when we say we created it, there was three of us and one other guy, Joel. So there was four people at Rusted Rooster, which effectively today is 33. So there's four people sitting there editing and really trying to figure out what this is going to be. And Jason showed Casey and I kind of the first opening scene of Dropped. And we all watched it and we were kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if that's it. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It. And we we're like, that's not. That's not it. And uh, Jason said, "All right, I, I think I got an idea." And he found some lyrical music, um, and he started to play with this lyrical music and some of the shots that he did, um, which now is that shot of the plane flying over top of us that everybody remembers uh, when we're like on the edge and the low slider shot. The plane comes in and takes off, and there's a song playing right there. And when that lyrical song was added to that show, that's when it actually took form. And we all sat there and it did it almost. It was weird. It's like it pulled the heartstrings for us and we were there. That was us. And we were like watching it. We're like, wow, like that is something completely different. And that from that second forward is when basically that show got its form and it took off and he was able to edit from there on out. We didn't have any. I mean, we just basically hammered the episodes out and it had an actual meaning at that point. That's fascinating. Okay. I'm I'm so glad that you kind of stopped me cuz I had just assumed that this was pitched traditionally and that uh it was it was done uh in concert with all the other shows and you guys really put this together out of nothing. Yeah. It was literally born out of nothing. It was well, it was born out of necessity. It was born out of you know, us looking, uh, looking for an opening, looking for an opportunity to be different, looking for a way to get out there and share our story, whether people liked it or not, I don't think we really cared about. I mean, I, I I really, in a weird way, I still don't necessarily, um, you know, put a lot of weight into, am I going to please the world with this project? I think, you know, we try to put projects out there that, that please us that we think are, you know, stories that are worth telling and stories that are worth sharing. So I think, you know, starting with that mindset and then recognizing opportunity when it presented itself along the way, I think, uh, you know, and capitalizing on it and just, you know, having a plan and, and being, uh, being willing, I guess, to stick it out through the whole process, you know, and dropped as a production, as an award-winning production, the first season, that's what came of all of those things. So, yeah, I think you have to kind of remember, too, at that point in our careers, Casey and I were doing television. That's the time where Sportsman Channel, Man Channel, Pursuit Channel, Outdoor Channel, like there was, you know, Versus, there was yeah. uh, Fox, there was all these crazy networks. It was all over the place and people were just trying to be on the air. It was totally different than what it is today. So although we had a show, I mean, we're, we're, we're just a show coming up, trying to get our sponsors to come on board and by no means were we, you know, this hot topic at that point. And when we created something, I think it was also a drive. I mean, we were hustling at that point. It was like, we need to set ourselves apart. And what is going to set ourselves apart? And that's where that necessity came in is we had never seen a hunting show that you had to watch the next episode to see what happens. And it was always, if you're in Kansas, then you're in Kansas, you watch that show. If you missed the Kansas show, that's okay. You can pick up the Iowa show the next week. We never had an arc series that we could figure out. You, 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 you have to watch in order to see what happens. You got to watch every one of them in order to figure out that. And once we recognized that, that's really when it started to come together for us. And, and then of course the network backed it, of course. And then we did have some amazing sponsors that loved that idea, took a risk with us and said, 
you know, we think this is going to be huge and they're still with us today. So seven years later, um, you know, seven different seasons across all over and they're still, those original guys are still with us. I'm so grateful that we've got the, the proper backstory and I'm almost ashamed that I didn't have uh, the wherewithal to ask because that's a big, I mean, that just added so much to our show. That's awesome. Chris and uh, Casey have agreed to share with us uh, an adventure that they took from season one uh, in the Brooks Range of Alaska. It's a fascinating story, and I'm so excited for them to share it. So the Brooks Range, it's a special place. You know, we, we're flying out there. We're on the plane. We're on the way in. We're about to spend 28 days in the middle of nowhere. And I think for both of us, you know, the amount of pressure that was built up and the amount of pressure and weight that was on our shoulders. Now we've taken a concept that is completely outside anything that anybody has ever seen in the hunting industry. We've sold it to a network. We've pre-sold it. We don't even have a stitch of footage yet. And we've pre-sold this thing. We've pre-sold it to sponsors. We've got people to buy into the concept and to the idea. Now all we have to do is go out there and execute. You know, yeah. I mean, That's what it comes down to. That just so happens to be, the hardest part you know and i can remember we had production meetings before we had it out there this is how we want to shoot it visually this is what we, what we want it to look like and you know you, you have all of these plans um but the minute you hit the ground in the middle of nowhere staring a month with no food in the face plans tend to go to hell in a handbag pretty quick so i think uh you know that moment you touch down at least uh, for me anyway we had this grand idea and this grand scheme in our heads we've got the most beautiful backdrop you could ever ask for the palette you know uh, was just incredible so now we got to execute right oh yeah i think you know one of the things that in the beginning with alaska is we weren't doing anything different people go to alaska people were filming in alaska all the time and they're you know going there in 10 12 days the difference is that was one episode we're going into alaska for a month and yes, we had no food, but we're also coming back with a whole series. So yep. we're like, whoa, at the end of the day, we got to do 10 hours. We hit the ground. We have no idea where we're at. We're just like, all right, plane drops us off. And we went our first initial, what, four days, I think, with, yep. with, with nothing, no food. We're kind of standing there like, all right, we got to go figure this out. And um, I can just remember being super hungry at that time. Like, okay, what did we do? Like here, we haven't even moved yet. You know, we're in this like complete new place. We have no idea. Let's figure this out. And then we saw um, a bunch of caribou up on the hill. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, there's a particular moment in season one. Uh, there's a caribou that we called maniac. He had a big white mane. We had seen him over there. He was just so far at that point in Alaska. Yeah. We were like, Okay, he's so far. He looks like he's not that far, but he's really like a mile and a half, two miles. And so do we really want to pack that caribou two miles? You know, we were kind of trying to figure that whole thing out, that style of hunting. Yeah, and when you're glassing him at 30x, he looks like he's a couple hundred he yards. He looks like he's right there, but he's really, then you get out of, you step out of your optics and you're like, okay, he's he's really far away. Um, but we're like, you know, do we want to do that? We're, we're already low on calories. We're four days in. It's like, what do we want to do? So we're making this kind of like mental decision. And we finally come up. We're like, let's go. Like, we have no choice. Let's go after him. Um, and we went after him. Um, I wanted to do one thing. Casey wanted to do another. And we obviously had that brotherly love at that point uh, in the middle of that whole scenario. We, you know, Casey was up. I was like, let's go follow you. That's fine. Luckily, we did. Um, came around the top there after a long stock and that was, I think the defining moment for that show is that we, 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 we proved that we could do it. We popped over the edge. All of the caribou have kind of moved off except maniac is just laying there bedded up and we're like, you gotta be kidding me. So Casey puts a great shot on him. We now know at this point we have food, we have what we just decided this is how we're going to film this is what the story is going to be um and that was just an unbelievable moment and that happened to be on casey's son's first birthday yeah so he had just had a son who has now just turned one on that day we take down maniac we have food so there's all these emotions up on the mountain I mean, we're like two. Oh, I was crying. I mean, like we were like, we were like, you know, we were. I mean, yeah. there was two grown bearded men uh, losing their minds up there on the mountain, and it was just a, it was an amazing emotional experience. So, but that set the tone. 
for the rest of what we were going to do. And that, that journey, you know, we've tried six years now afterwards. Um, we've done some things and nothing will ever compare to that first season and that first time that you go in there and you'd have no idea what's about to happen. And I think that's one of the things that attracted us to this thing was that we don't know what's around the next bend. We don't know what's going to come up. Um, you know, if you, you're hunting in the Midwest, uh, it's pretty predictable in the fact that you're sitting in that tree stand and you kind of know what's walking, walking by or what's in the area. But when you're up in that big country, you don't know. If you go around the bend, there's a moose down there. You go around the bend, there's a bear. You go around 19 bends, and there's no animals, um, which proved to be the next 18 days of this entire journey in the Brooks Range. Yeah. So I think for, for me, that day in particular, I mean, I remember waking up that morning, and I said, if I'm going to miss my son's first birthday, that's kind of a it's kind of a pivotal one. You know, when you have your first child and that first birthday comes along, I just remember telling myself, if I'm going to miss it, I'm going to make it worthwhile and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I came here to do. And for me, that was kind of the deciding factor. And all right, we're going to go try to get after this caribou. So mm-hmm. I think that helped put us in a rhythm. I think at that point, you know, we, we understood we can do this, you know, we got this. There's those little moments of doubt along the way of, you know, Hey, we set out to do this. Can we really pull it off? Can we do this? I think that moment right then and there, we looked at each other, you know, and said, we got this, we can do it this is what we set out here to do. And that put us in a rhythm. We knew exactly, okay, our film style is going to play out the way we wanted to. The storytelling is going to play out the way we wanted to. Now we just got to find the animals and make it happen. So you get in that rhythm and you start trudging along and trudging along. And like Chris said, we trudged along for another, I think 18 days with nothing, with no. not an animal, not in anything. We ate, cause you got to remember we're feeding the crew as well. So we take a crew of two out there with us. So we got two camera guys and they don't take food either so they do everything that we do you know much to their credit that was kind of a big decision going in is is the crew going to have food behind the scenes and you know they're going to be hammering down on beefy mac and cheese over there while chris and i are starving and those guys you know to their credit they said nope we're doing exactly what you guys are going to do you know so so i obviously applaud the crew for that but at the same time that puts more pressure on chris and i because now we're not just worried about feeding him and i we're we're now feeding two other guys Yep. You know, one fish doesn't go as far with four guys as it does with two. So, you know, there's all these little nuances to it. So, yeah, we ended up eating an entire caribou. Um, really? You guys you guys ate the whole thing? The entire whole caribou thing. In like 18 days, I think. I mean, you figure four grown men over the course of 18 days, you know, and we were we were rationing at that. I mean, we weren't... Uh, we weren't, you know, carving out 20 ounce steaks. We were, we were still trying to ration as much as we could. So they're not a big animal. Yeah. 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 Like between a deer and an elk, like kind of right in that, you know, that, that area. But I mean, I can remember sitting, so you go 18 days, we got nothing. In the beginning we did, we started to eat like Kings. We're like, we got food, you know, we we haven't eaten in four days. So now we're like, you know, having these big steaks. Then we realized like, okay, let's start to ration. Let's really start to think about this. Day one, you touched down weight of what you had just pitched to the network on your shoulders. Um, all of the new topography is, is coming in. All of your receptors are firing on on all eight cylinders. You're basically, you're amped up because you've got some, some real tangible evidence that all your hard work is paying off. You've got uh, all of the unknown factors that are probably aiding towards some anxiety. Um, and you're day four already and your crew's starting to get hungry i didn't realize that you guys were feeding your crew too but the both of you guys are starting to bicker you've got you know 20 mile days of stalking and glassing you're low on calories and you're starting to get antsy casey puts a well-placed bullet i saw it it was a nice neck shot by the way uh puts a well-placed bullet behind uh maniac's shoulder anchors it right on the spot Hands go up in the air, culmination of all of the bickering from all of the the miles underfoot and all of the hunger between the two of you, all of the weight from your hungry crew, and Casey's firstborn son is turning one today. All of that hits you in in a matter of seconds, right? Yes. Yes. All that hit us in a matter of seconds. Yeah. the, uh, the, the, The crying like a baby on top of that mountain. I mean, yeah. it was, uh, that's, as, that's as real as it gets right there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that really taps a vein of authenticity for the, the show, too. I think that's really cool. 
Okay, so you guys get the crew well fed. You're anticipating it's going to be a cornucopia of game and, and fish and flora and fauna abounding because it's Alaska. Why wouldn't it? But the way that Murphy's Law works out uh, just kind of dealt you a sour hand for the next 18 days. And then you had some some pretty big hurdles to cross in those 18 days. Tell us a little bit about those hurdles. Yeah, I think the trip just kind of took on its own identity at that point. We hit the river. Um, we had had a long 18 days. We were eating, trying to figure it out. Now, we had never moose hunted in particular, yeah. right? Like, we didn't really have ever called. So we're calling for moose. We're trying to figure out those tactics. We're learning Alaska as we go. And um, we, we end up blowing through about 16 miles of whitewater, um, gets stuck, nowhere to camp, big high banks. Um, dragon. Dragon, float dragon. Like, we're just, at this point, we're actually pretty miserable. Um, you know, we went from this extreme high to now this extreme low. Like, now yeah. we're going, what are we going to do, you know? And we got to a point, Casey and I uh, got into, it wasn't that we were arguing against each other. I think it was more we needed a Snickers. It was like we were hungry we were, you know, we we're just over this at this point. We didn't know what to do. We get into this little situation. We turn around and we look, and there's a point um, at that point that we uh, that we dub prayer point. Um, if we were going to have a prayer in the world to get this done, we are about six days from the end of our journey. Our episodes are slowly starting to dwindle because there's nothing to film. We don't have food. We, we, we sat on that beach and ate the calf muscle. I can remember yep. that. Like we ate the calf muscle of that caribou. Like there's actually a picture of me holding up the bare shoulder and the Yes, bare it's leg. like right there, that, that calf muscle. So we ate that. We're out of food. You're chewing on bone. Our camera batteries are dying because we have no sun to solar charge with. Yes, <laughs> snow is coming in behind us. So we went from this extreme high of all this amazing stuff in the beginning to now things are changing. We're also... 18 days later in September, winter is approaching us. Like we can see the mountains at the top. It's just starting to snow in. It's coming down, you know. So we have all now the pressures on. Um, so we go to prayer point um, and we set up. And basically at that moment we get there, we're like, I don't know what it is about this, but this is a pretty amazing little spot here of how this, like we could kind of tell from the topography. And basically for the next four days, we were like in moose rut central yeah. like it was unbelievable we're sitting there and the moose you know calling just hoping they were going to come to us because we you know we didn't know what to do as far as like going off we're not going to go two miles out and hike try and kill a moose so we're like hoping they're coming to the river that's what we had researched that's what we were told to do sure enough my moose steps out shoot him across the river he goes down like so excited Another moose comes in, checks him out. Casey and I go up to that one. You know, we, we, we skin Cape Quarter, do all that. It's amazing. We're, we're, we're back. Another moose comes in. Casey shoots that one. Moose runs, flies down the river. I mean, literally goes in the river and goes like another quarter of a mile, gets sucked away. We got to go find him. But it's okay because we've got meat. So there's like, again, that's the highs and lows of what the Alaska and the Brooks Range can do to you is one minute you're at the bowels like down in the depths yep. and the next minute you're at the peak of the mountain um and that's what it, that's like the adrenaline rush and it's like that that, that <laughs> yeah that's exactly right i mean it literally is the highs and lows and that's what we compare it to and it took off and we were like all right this is amazing now because we've got we were just like stress free at that point because we knew once you have a moose down you have enough meat for like five years especially yeah. for four guys so we're good there that wasn't about food anymore it was about let's how do we get this out of here then we shoot another one so then it's like now we got to pack and quarter and skin and cape two and do the animal justice you know all the rules we did all that we got every stitch of meat we could and then we pushed off and then we basically enjoyed that last float out. Um, we were not far, but we, we, we got that last float out, and that's the bittersweet moment when the plane comes. That's kind of the ending. It's like you're sad that you're going. You're happy you're going to shower, um, but you don't really know how to take it. And that's that was like the last five days. So the first five days was unbelievable. The middle of this trip just put us on our backs and showed us that Mother Nature really is in charge. And then we kind of conquered at the end and, and uh, came out with an amazing story. And 
that's when we said like, okay, now we know what we're doing. <laughs> it just took us a little bit to get into it. Wow. That's cool. So season one was, was a pretty good representative, uh, condensed visual of, of what life is all about. Really? That's exactly the, that hits it on the head, those ebbs and flows, those ups and downs. And, uh, I mean, it just, for us, it was just jammed into a 28 day period where you have the highest of highs and lowest of lows, you know, normally that takes the course of a lifetime to play out, but on any given hunt like that, you've got it in a 30 day chunk. So it's a direct representative. Awesome. So break down your departure for me. I mean, we saw it on film, but what, uh, I mean, what really happens, uh, with two moose and, uh, and a caribou rack, um, in a, in a, what kind of plane? Helio courier. Yeah. Yeah. So we flew out on a helio courier. It's a pretty wicked little plane. It's similar to, uh, like a de Havilland beaver. It's got, uh, it's a sea stall. So it's short takeoff and landing up there. I mean, it's, it's got these giant flaps. They can slow the plane right down. It, it, they're, they're awesome planes so they can carry quite a load. So, I guess, yeah, as far as the takeout, so, uh, you know, we, we get to uh, the coordinates of where we're going to be yanked out, um, yanked out of the bush and, and meet the plane. We get, um, you know, we get uh, all the gear loaded up at, at one time or as much of the gear as we can anyway. And it's a big shuttle. Uh, it's like a big shuttle deal up there in Alaska. So because they can only physically load so much weight into one of those planes, um, you know, legally and morally. <laughs> so. Uh, so they, you know, we get everything in there and then the shuttle starts. And, uh, I think that year and, and usually most years, I'm the last one to go. I'm the last one to, to get yanked out. So, uh, you know, the crew heads out first. So, you know, we'll send a crew member. So we'll send a camera guy first. Uh, that way he can document, uh, you know, the arrival of the first hunter. So cameraman first, and then Chris went and then the second cameraman went and, uh, you know, there I am sitting there you know, all alone in the Brooks range in the middle of nowhere and up there flying in and out is always an adventure because, you know, just because the weather's good right now doesn't mean that in a half an hour, a storm's not going to get, you know, rolled in. So, but I was sitting there by myself in the gravel bar, just thinking, man, what a, what a place to be. What, what an unbelievable epic, you know, if I had to think back and say to myself, did this live up to everything we wanted it to be in my head? I'm thinking that it far exceeded it. I mean, like Chris said, he summed it up perfectly with, we had four or five days at the beginning of just epic adventure. Everything was new adrenaline rush. You're on overdrive. And then we had 18 days in the middle of just getting our asses beat by Alaska the way that you normally do. And then we finished it out, you know, with the last four or five days that were just riding on cloud nine. So it's a bittersweet moment when you see that plane come in because you know that the trip is over and you're excited to get back and have a shower, you know, the first shower in a month, the first, you know, really truly hot meal, uh, you know, and then you've got family on the other end. So you've got, you know, I've got my wife and my son that I can, you know, call on the phone or FaceTime or whatever it may be. But at the same time, you also know you're leaving a place that you can't help but leave a small piece of you behind in that place when you leave so i think you know that's the most bittersweet moment well that's kind of a, a a funny story the pilot that dropped us off um was the same pilot that picked us up and when we loaded up the planes he said all right you know i got this gear check whatever and he goes all right where's your food where's the food box and we're like we don't have food box and he's like what and he's like what do you mean you don't have food box and so we're like we told him and he's like Okay, so then he's like, all right. So then he starts getting into this whole. He's like, all right, well, I'll see you guys in whatever ten days. Yeah. Or, here's he said, I'll all see these. You in a week. Yeah, he's like, all here's all these pickup points and all this other stuff. Um, you know, because he started to get worried about us. He's done. He's dropped enough people in Alaska. He's going like, you guys are. This is stupid. Like you're crazy. This is a suicide um, mission. Yeah. Like yeah. what are you doing? Like I'm just. You're. He was almost to the point where he's like, well, I got to come back in here. Like yeah. he was kind of like mad about it a little bit. You know. So we make it. We do all, you know, 28 days. He comes back in. He lands and he gets out and he goes, I never in a million years would have thought you fellas were going to do it. And he goes into the front of the plane. He pulls out a garbage bag and he literally opens up the garbage bag and dumps it out. And it's breakfast McDonald's burritos, um, sausage, egg, sausage, and cheese, egg and cheese, McMuffins, hash browns. and all this <laughs> stuff. And he goes, you guys want this? And we were like a pack of wolves on this <laughs> sausage McMuffin, you know, and it's hysterical because I ate 
a burrito, which are like 99 cent tiny little burrito, right? Eat that thing. And just so full, like could not, like uncomfortable, lay down full because your stomach shrinks and all that stuff. I haven't had carbs in so long. So it's like so uncomfortable. And while Casey's sitting on this, this runway by himself reflecting, I get flown out to a gold mining camp where there's like a full kitchen. This lady invites me in. She's got chocolate cake, there's a (laughs) salad, right? There's black coffee made out of an actual, you know, coffee machine, like no grinds or sticks or twigs in it. Like, (laughs) and so she's like, yeah, come on in. It's lunchtime. And she's feeding like 20 gold miners. And uh, so I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, this is unbelievable. But I had eaten a burrito, so I'm trying to eat this cake, and I can't even, like, get it in my system. (laughs) Finally, I just laid down, and I was just like, this is awesome. Like, it was allowing it to just creep in a little bit, but it's amazing because as soon as we left, you're back into it. You know, like, we weren't even out of that situation. Like, I had just made it to a gold rush, and all of a sudden, it's like the hustle bustle and the grind started immediately, and... We hit the ground in Fairbanks is the, is the next time that we saw each other. We were on pavement, and when we went to the get the, the, the rental, car, rental car, fully dressed, guns on our hips, go get the rental car. It's like you get into the hadn't airport, showered hadn't anymore. showered, you get to the airport, boom, smells hit you, things hit you, sounds, and then you're just like, you're back, and it's like, you know, you don't know what to do, and you're still on edge, and you're still kind of like, whoa, 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 is there, you know, is there a bear coming? And it's just, it's a crazy scenario. Yeah, it's just all together kind of puts it in place. That's the one thing wow. I'll never forget when I when we got back is we went to get that rental car straight from the from the bush plane, and when I walked into the airport, there was a woman. I mean, she was way down the deal in the airport, and the smell, the smell of her perfume. Perfume. I mean, it was so overpowering. Oh, just, I bet. I mean, it was like, oh, it was overload. I mean, it really was. And I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, we've been in the middle of nowhere for, for 28 days, smelling nothing but fresh air and, and campfire. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of incredible. You get back and everything goes on, on, you know, your senses are all heightened and it's just, it's wild trying to get adapted back to, you know, the everyday hustle. Muscle. Yeah. To the point where some lady's perfume is pungent. Yeah. yeah and it I don't, literally was. I don't think that, uh, her perfume was pungent. What we had to remember is we were pungent, so yeah. she could yeah. smell us from yeah. all the way down there as well, and it and certainly it wasn't, wasn't perfume. perfume. Yeah, <laughs> there's probably a handful of people who were telling that lady hit 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 herself with a couple more sprays. Those boys behind me smell like a sewer. Yeah, exactly. Let's uh, let's try and transition into uh, the life lesson portion of this uh, of this adventure, guys. If you had to summarize um, in a few sentences or less what you took away from this that had long lasting effects that you carry into your everyday life. Um, how would you describe that? Oh, for me, I think it's, uh, it's about three main things, really. I think the first, you know, that has led to the creation of everything that we've done, whether it's rusted rooster or hatch or dropped or anything, it's dare to be different. Mm. I think that's one of the things, uh, you know, I've got this big sign in my office that says color outside the lines. And I think that sums up, you know, the beginning. That's the beginning stages of any great idea is dare to be different. From there, it, it goes into, you know, success doesn't happen by accident. It's something that you have to plan out. There's a lot of things that happened along the way of our journey and dropped that we adapted to. But in the grand scheme of things, we had a plan. Mm. And we always like to say we plan for the worst and hope for the best. You know, that's kind of our approach when we're out there. So success isn't an accident. It's a, it's a well-executed plan. And then on top of that, it's perseverance. you got to push and push and push. There's not a lot of traffic on the extra mile. So you gotta, you got to just keep going as hard as you can. Hmm. You can take that into your work. You can take that in, into your, your commute. You can take that into uh, maybe a hostile environment that uh, is filled with conflict, but you need to handle it. Um, you can take that into your family life. Uh, that just, I mean, I love it. Dare to be different. Success is no accident. And uh, I, I like how you said that um, on that third one where perseverance is, is paramount. There's not a whole lot of traffic on the extra mile. Meaning what, I, what I'm inferring is that you're saying take that extra step. Not any, No one else is willing to. Yep, yeah. 100%. Chris, uh, is that 
Is that synonymous or congruent with with what you took away as well, or did you have anything that uh, that really struck you from your your first um, season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, all those things uh, you know are exactly on target. I think to to elaborate, there's a there's a saying that Casey and I always talk about, which is "be alive." Mm. Um, that's a big uh, big mantra for what we do. Um, and you know, taking this away, this this whole journey and a life lesson is just you know just dare when, when we talked about dare to be different it's also just do something that you never thought you would do uh just be alive make do what makes you be alive there's no definition to be alive it's just what makes you be alive if that's get up in the morning and see a sunset if that's i challenge myself to 30 days in alaska or if that's just i want to uh go for a two-mile hike today you know just get off the couch just quit playing video games and go do something that uh makes you be alive um and I also think just to touch on at the end is, um, you know, just work hard, just work harder. You know, nowadays uh, I find there's a lot of kids that are coming into this whole scenario and they just, they, everything is uh, a world of no patience, right? Everything is like, I want it today. I, I, I deserve it. I earn it. You know, it's like, you know what? Sometimes it takes a little bit of extra hard work and time. So have a little bit of patience um, and go do it. If you want to do it, do it. I mean, we, we live in America. If you want to be a fireman, be a fireman. If you want to be a hunter, be a hunter. You can be. It just takes hard work and hustle. And that's, I think, at the end of the day, when we started this entire journey, these companies, everything that we've done to this point, um, you know, seven, eight years ago, that's what we did is just hustle and, and just get after it because we can. And it was just taking that extra step. So I encourage anybody that's listening, if you're kind of on that bubble and you're saying like, well, I want it, I want it, I'll never get it. Yes, you will. You just have to work for it. Um, you can do anything you want to do. So just be alive. In the adventure deficit world, uh, we've got two hashtags that we roll with. Uh, the first one is combat the deficit. The second one is take your medicine. Yep. Does that sound about kind of like what what you're going after with be alive oh yeah yeah 100 yeah yeah, yeah I, you know like i said it doesn't necessarily have a definition it's just sit down and just you know feel alive don't stare in front of a you know there's more to life than just a phone or a computer or a video game or and, and you know what that that might make you be alive the video game great then, then, then work at it. You know what I mean? And so it doesn't necessarily have to be outdoor driven. It's just, what is your, find your passion and hustle period. Mm. And, and you'll do, you'll do great things. Awesome stuff. Gentlemen, thanks so much for sharing your adventure story with us. Uh, appreciate the life lessons as well. Uh, I know that our listeners will benefit from that. So a couple of lightning round questions to wrap things up. Um, Chris, Give us uh, the memory of your first hunt. Uh, I was at, a, at an old coal mine in western Pennsylvania called Torred Mine, Torred mine. that our uncle owned. Uh, my grandfather gave me my shotgun, uh, loaded up the, the, the beagles, and that goes back to my rabbit hunting days, and took me out at Torred Mine. Uh, and I was up top, and I hunted with them all day. Casey, were you there, or is, did, did you have a different first hunting story? No, our hunting stories are pretty much uh, the same. I may not have been hunting at that point in time, but I was probably stuck yeah. in a pricker bush somewhere. <laughs> Just chasing rabbits. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to that uh, unmistakable bark of a beagle. That ball. Chris, um, from uh, some social media, uh, a wretchedly ruined pickup truck. Um <laughs> putting it lightly yeah it looked looked like if there was a story there it was a big story and it was a life changer for sure you want to shine a little bit of light on that yeah um yeah i can do the the quick version of this basically that truck uh, uh that was 10 years ago um i was on my way back from iowa and i um i got basically i got in a major car accident um and uh i died on the scene and was uh, fortunate enough uh, through the good Lord that I was brought back. Um, there was a lot of bad things that happened to me at that point. I had a broken femur. I'd broken ankle in six places. I'd lost vision in my left eye. Um, my face was cut open. 
Um, I broke my orbital bone. Uh, so the whole left hand side of my body was completely smashed. Uh, I spent two years, um, hospital bed, many, many surgeries, uh, Walker cane to eventually now, you know, up and running and training and, and physically fit and ready to rock and roll on everything. I, I still creak a little bit and I need WD 40 every now and then for a lot of these metal parts. But, um, that was a time in my life that all this was all prior and during all of what was happening um you know with the the first seasons of dropped and rusted roosters prior to that um and i think it was a life lesson for me it was a wake-up call i didn't really wasn't really living correctly at that point was kind of all over the map didn't know what was going down um and it really just brought it back for me um i've got uh, i've got a tattoo on my uh my whole shoulder up here that has be alive on it um, from the mantra, just living for what it is. Um, and I can kind of tell you from my experience, um, I know what it's like to have it taken away, uh, and then have it brought back to you. And so it's just very, very precious every single day. Um, and there's a Bible verse that, uh, that basically really was kind of my thing the whole time that my wife introduced me to It's called Hebrews 11 one. Um, it's an amazing verse that says faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And there's times that in that, that entire area of my life that I, the only thing I had to do was have faith because I had no idea why I was in this situation or what was going on, but it was a life changer for myself, for my entire family. And without the support of my brother and my wife and my whole family, there's no way that, uh, I'd have made it through. Um, and so I didn't, I had a lot of answers, uh, or a lot of questions and, uh, I got a lot of answers in that time period. So that's a two year phase of my life that, uh, I really am glad is over. Uh, but I took a lot away from it and I still speak on it today and still have a, a pretty amazing testimony to share with people when asked. So, um, yeah, but I'm good. I got my vision back. I can still walk and, uh, you know, life is good and I'm living it. Wow. Sounds like we could do an entire episode on that alone, but thanks for giving us a glimpse into that um, and being willing to share that story with us. Um, touch on on the faith aspect a little bit. Um, I, I've noticed just uh, short amounts in each of your clips. Looks like you guys might be you know saying a prayer before you take off. Um, give me uh, give me a few words describing what that that's all about, and uh, tell our listeners what uh, what faith means to you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for us, obviously there's, there's a lot of things as we talk about all this stuff today that I don't think was, um, that there was a lot of help from the man upstairs. I feel like, uh, there's a lot of things that were placed in our lives. I mean, we named that area of the moose prayer point because we knew that, uh, in order for it to happen, like we needed to have faith at that moment. And sure enough, we were rewarded for that faith. So, um, you know, I think our faith strong, we, we did our prayer before we left out there just because we wanted everybody to be safe. We wanted, uh, to have that guidance as we were out there. Um, and I know we try to live that life and that lifestyle. So, um, but for me, you know, having faith is, is just, you know, putting him first and putting him above everything else. And I think once that, uh, once that happened for me, then, uh, a lot of things fell in place. That's awesome guys. Hebrews 11, one, check it out. Yeah, check it out. One of you guys has a photo on your Instagram handle that says, if you look like this, but you cannot change a tire, please shave. What do you mean? I think that was a bearded one. There was uh there might've been, there's the difference between the, uh, um, the beards in which we have and the beards of which other people have. <laughs> so if you grow a big, long the beard, the hipster. Yeah. And you're wearing plaid and you've got your, your, your jeans folded at the end. I'm not coming at you. I'm not saying it's bad, but you probably can't change a tire. So if you don't need a beard to stay warm in the middle of Alaska, don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I better either shave or get my butt to Alaska. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. But I'm sure you can change a tire. So don't worry. Yes, I can change a tire. I just thought it was funny. I loved it. Uh, okay, guys, uh, Winchester, one of your major sponsors. I noticed um, some handsome wood grain on the trip. Um, I think Casey had in his hand what looked like uh, a featherweight Model 70. Yep. With the Schnabel end. Yep. Yeah, when, when we've both been Model 70 guys for a long time. That's where I'm going with this. We've got... Uh, 
we, I think we're all kind of in the same age group, right? And uh, growing up, peeling through the pages of Field and Stream, I loved reading about handsome rifles. And I can think of about uh, three specific models that kind of started to change that that paradigm. And uh, since then, the market has seen an onslaught of very, very economically produced, highly accurate, highly reliable plastic guns. Um, everybody's got their preference. I just kind of wanted to, to know, are you guys super grade guys or are you XPR guys? Um, I like the traditional model 70 featherweight. That, that's, that's my, that's my weapon of choice. I think for me, it just goes back to, you know, there's something about that, those guns, the way they look, the way they feel, the way they handle, it just reminds me of those early days of hunting, you know, it reminds me of grandpa handing the gun over or our dad handing the gun over or passing the gun down. I mean, it's just, it's been that way forever. It's what I'm comfortable with and it's, it's, it's what I like. How about you, Chris? Well, uh, yeah, I, I agree. We're, um, we're fortunate enough that we, we work with Winchester on a pretty high level. Um, we do a digital series called Winchester life. Um, that's on their Winchester TV, um, website. And, we tell a lot of stories for Winchester and we've done a lot of short films and a lot of amazing stuff. So we're pretty ingrained with Winchester just, and, and it's not because we work with them as much as we believe in them. And so we've shot them since we were kids iconic, and yeah. it's an iconic. So it's, it's really amazing for us to be able to work with such a company that can tell the story. Like we're going in and telling stories of, you know, some of the model 42, like some of the 42s and all the other different like fun guns that they've had over the years and the different ammunitions. And so, um, that's fun for us, but yeah, I, I'm with Casey. I mean, I just love that original, you know, that original model 70 when it's lights out and you're in Alaska in the middle of the Brooks range, you're not searching, uh, eBay and you're not playing on your phones. Um, got to imagine you've got a headlamp on and you're probably reading through something. Yep. Chris, yeah. what do you, what do you, uh, what comes to mind as far as, uh, influential books, um, that you've read in the last year? Um, so I have read, I read Lone Survivor when I was out there. Uh, uh, Marcus the Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell, um, such an amazing, uh, story. No Easy Day was another one that was, uh, unbelievable. Um, read that story. And then I like getting into success stories, uh, like Steve Jobs, uh, read his, you know, his biography. And then there's another one out there called Hatching Twitter and just how things were born, business, you know, things like that. So I, I don't. Uh, I, I really enjoy those types of stories, success stories coming from, uh, you know, the actual author themselves. And so I try to like ingrain myself in that kind of stuff. Casey, how about you? Uh, so the most recent ones that I've done on dropped, I actually, uh, I read a lot of, uh, fiction. I've done a lot of the, the fiction stuff, but I've got, uh, undaunted courage, which is kind of the story of Lewis and Clark. Uh, that's a Stephen Ambrose and then good to great. And then one that I found really, really interesting, uh, actually two, one was Founding Brothers, uh, and the other is 1776, both uh, David McCulloch books. So those books are, uh, they're mainly uh, centered around the Revolutionary War and, uh, you know, what made those men so special and what made them really, you know, dare to be different the way that they did, which gave us the America that we sit in now, so... Gives you a good uh, good front row seat to some of the ingredients that our founding fathers used to forge this country. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Who are some of your outdoor heroes? You guys are pretty prominent figures on the outdoor scene right now. Who uh, Who are some of your outdoor heroes? Oh man, you got a, Fred Bear is one of the first that comes to my mind. I mean, a guy like Fred Bear, who did so much for not just the outdoors but the sport of archery, and uh, you know, really filming in general i mean you know we produced a documentary called the father of bow hunting and when we got to go back and go through the vault basically of all the original fred bear files and the tapes and everything that was there i mean just seeing some of that stuff you know the vision that he had and the mindset that he had of how to help grow the sport and do everything just at that time i mean nobody embodies the outdoors to me more than than a guy like fred bear a pioneer, an early pioneer. Yep. This will be uh, this will be the conclusion of our show. The last uh, the last question, same one, goes to you, Chris. Uh, any outdoor heroes that uh, that come to mind? 
Um, yeah, following those same lines as a pioneer, um, Chuck Buck from Buck Knives. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck was an amazing man. We were uh, fortunate enough again to do some stuff with him and tell his story. Um, and uh, you know, just seeing a family business, seeing it being built, and what he did, and the sacrifices he made, and how he grew what to get today is probably the most iconic knife. Uh, you know, there is, it's just an amazing company, an amazing story. And, um, Chuck was just one of those guys that the minute you met him, you just fell in love with the guy and you had he, a friend, you just had a friend and he was amazing. So, um, and he's since passed away. And, um, I think it's rewarding when we do some of these stories and short films, um, that that was captured. And yep. so that's a proud moment for me, uh, to, to, to watch that and see him drive away at the end in his 57 Chevy waving. Um, and now know that he's passed, uh, and just, I don't know, Chuck was just an amazing guy and his story is awesome. And I just love how he pioneered, uh, the knife industry and, and, and really started to create something. So definitely a hero. Awesome. Uh, gentlemen, where can my listeners, uh, the adventure deficit listeners go to see more about rusted rooster, more about hatched marketing or get your show times for dropped or any of your other productions? So anything to do with the productions, they can go to uh, KieferBrothers.com. That's where, you know, all of our stuff lives. That's where a lot of information on where we are and what we're doing around the world is, is going to be. Uh, we've obviously got all the social media channels under Kiefer Brothers as well. So we've got uh, the Facebook, the uh, Instagram, the Twitter feeds, all of that stuff. And then uh, we're actually in the middle of revamping some of the websites right now for Rusted Rooster and Hatch. But uh, those websites are RustedRoosterMedia.com and HatchMarketingGroup.com. Fantastic. And when uh, when is your next uh, episode of Dropped airing? Uh, next Tuesday. So we uh, on September 24th um, of this week, we had um, our premiere episode of Dropped Expedition South Pacific. Um, and that's on the Outdoor Channel. That's uh, Tuesday or I'm sorry, Mondays at nine o'clock. Mondays at nine on the Outdoor Channel, and then we have our Whitetail Show, Rival Wild, which is Wednesdays at eight thirty, airing on Sportsman Channel. And both of those are going right now. Brand new episodes, brand new seasons, and uh, yeah, and then you can find it throughout the week. But uh, yep, those, those are the two big ones that we're excited about. Appreciate uh, the Kiefer brothers taking taking some time out of their busy schedule to join us today and share an amazing story along with some life lessons. Gentlemen, it was a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. Wish you all the best with all of your endeavors and uh, look forward to, uh, to hopefully circling back sometime with you. Um, any questions, anything that uh, came up during today's show, I will post at www.adventuredeficit.com. I'll post show, na- show notes with timestamps and uh, you can re- uh, revisit anything that got covered in today's episode. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yep, appreciate the opportunity.